We've been in a short series this January called First, which has been about the spiritual habits that Christians have to help put God first in our lives. So we've been talking about prayer and reading the Bible and sharing the gospel. And today we're going to be looking at giving. And these, these messages are not intended really to say the most important thing in life is prayer or the Bible or giving or sharing the gospel. They're intended to say the most important thing in life, the one who comes first, is God. And these are the habits that Christians put in place to help us seek God above everything else. And so today we're going to look at giving. And that is something that from the very start of the church, Christians have been noted for. Like that's just a historical reality. It goes right back into the days of the Roman Empire when people would write about the church. And they'd often notice these, they just give a lot of their stuff. Like the very first description in history of a Christian church describes the fact that they were selling their possessions and giving them away to other people. And you get that a lot, even when pagans write about, or people who aren't Christians, write about the church. They're often talking about the generosity of the believers. And probably that's because of how often Jesus talked about it. Jesus talks about money and giving and sacrifice and generosity an awful lot. And you may remember this triangle, if you were here a few weeks back uh, from the Sermon on the Mount. I summarized Jesus's major block of teaching by saying, look, prayers in the middle. But either side of that central point, you have sections that Jesus teaches on giving. When you give to the poor, give like this. Don't store up treasures on earth, store up treasures in heaven. Don't worry about where the food is coming from because God knows he's going to provide you with these things. So giving, like prayer, is really in the middle of Jesus' teaching on the shape of the Christian life. And even then, that's not Jesus' new idea. That goes right back into the Old Testament. The prophets are always saying to Israel, you've got to be generous to the poor, you've got to give. That goes back to the law of Moses, who said you must make financial provision for the poor, the migrant, the widow, the orphan. You must give generously for feasting in God's presence and for pro to provide for the house of God, the tabernacle and the temple. And actually, even when you go into the historical books between the law and the prophets, you find the same thing in the, sort of the Samuels, Kings, Chronicles. That period, you often find when Israel has turned their back on God, they don't give. The, the poor get oppressed and trodden down. They don't make any provision for the priests or the temple. But when there's revival, when God breaks in, the people turn to God, then suddenly their pockets open and they start pouring out resources and giving generously and celebrating lavish feasts in God's presence and feeding and providing for the poor and funding the priesthood and the temple. Why is that true? Why, is, why does it follow that when Israel turns away, they don't give, and when they turn to God, they do? And the answer is because, as Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be as well. That's always been true, that people give abundantly when they've, they've got a heart for God because where their treasure is, their heart goes. And so they give generously in response to where the heart is going, and the more they give, the more their heart follows. And there are loads of examples of that in the Old Testament. And today we're going to read just one from 2 Chronicles chapter 31. So there's lots of this in when they raise money to build the temple and when they repent under Nehemiah. Loads of examples. But for, for today we're going to look at a particular revival that takes place in Judah, which is the southern kingdom where Jerusalem is, under King Hezekiah. So we're about 700 BC, 700 years before Christ. And we're in the city of Jerusalem and the surrounding area. And it's around the same time as the prophet Isaiah. And the people of Israel are repenting of their sin. A revival is breaking out among them and they're realizing we've sinned against God. And they're turning to the Lord. And Hezekiah the king has said, hey, I want you to repent, turn to God and celebrate the Passover. 
And as we read this passage, I want to draw out just three words from this chapter that are going to help us with the spiritual habit of giving. And we'll see what they are in a moment. Let's read 2 Chronicles chapter 31, beginning at verse 1. When all this had ended, the Israelites who were there went out to the towns of Judah, smashed the sacred stones, and cut down all the Asherah poles, which are idols. They destroyed the high places and the altars throughout Judah and Benjamin and in Ephraim and Manasseh. And after they destroyed all of them, the Israelites returned to their own towns and to their own property. Hezekiah assigned the priests and Levites to divisions, each of them according to their duties as priests or Levites, to offer burnt offerings and fellowship offerings, to minister, to give thanks, and to sing praises at the gates of the Lord's dwelling. The king contributed from his own possessions for the morning and evening burnt offerings and for the burnt offerings on the Sabbaths at the new moons and the appointed festivals as written in the law of the Lord. He ordered the people living in Jerusalem to give the portion due to the priests and Levites so they could devote themselves to the law of the Lord. As soon as the order went out, the Israelites generously gave the first fruits of their grain, new wine, olive oil, and honey, and all that the fields produced. They brought a great amount, a tithe of everything. The people of Israel and Judah who lived in the towns of Judah also brought a tithe of their herds and flocks and a tithe of the holy things dedicated to the Lord their God and they piled them in heaps. They began doing this in the third month and finished in the seventh month. When Hezekiah and his officials came and saw the heaps, they praised the Lord and blessed his people Israel. Hezekiah asked the priests and the Levites about the heaps. And Azariah, the chief priest from the family of Zadok, answered, Well, since the people began to bring their contributions to the temple of the Lord, we've had enough to eat and plenty to spare because the Lord has blessed his people and this great amount is left over. Hezekiah gave orders to prepare storerooms in the temple of the Lord, and this was done. Then they faithfully brought in the contributions, tithes, and dedicated gifts. Conaniah, a Levite, was the overseer in charge of these things, and his brother Shimei was next in rank. Jehiel, Azaziah, Nahath, Asahel, Jeremoth, Jozebad, Eliel, Ismachiah, Mahath, and Benaiah were assistants of Conaniah and Shimei's brother. All these served by appointment of King Hezekiah and Azariah, the official in charge of the temple of God. Koreh, son of Imna, the Levite, keeper of the east gate, was in charge of the free will offerings given to God, distributing the contributions made to the Lord and also the consecrated gifts. Eden, Miniamin, Jeshua, Shemaiah, Amariah, and Shechaniah assisted him faithfully in the towns of the priests, distributing to their fellow priests according to their divisions, old and young alike. And down to verse 20, this is what Hezekiah did throughout Judah, doing what was good and right and faithful before the Lord his God, in everything that he undertook in the service of God's temple, and in obedience to the law and his commands, he sought his God and worked wholeheartedly, and so he prospered. This is the word of God. So three words I want to focus in on, three principles that I think will help us as we look to cultivate the spiritual habit of giving. Very few people in, the, in life want to be stingy. That's not normally the heart of any believer. It's not normally the heart of many people. But we need, we need to help often in cultivating these habits and thinking biblically about how we consider our possessions and what we do with them. And the first of those three words, the first principle I want to draw out, is the principle of first fruits giving. So imagine, you are an Israelite farmer in the Iron Age, right? so somewhere around 600, 800 BC or whatever. You live off the land, and every summer, when your fields produce wheat and barley and grapes and olives or whatever it is, 
you take the first portion of that crop and you offer it to God. You give the first portion in summer. So literally, you don't wait until the end of the harvest comes in in October. For the first fruits that come out, you say, I'm going to give the, the first portion to the Lord. And by giving to God first, I mean literally chronologically first, before anything else, you demonstrate that you prioritize him with your possessions. You literally prioritize him. You put him first with your possessions. You say, well, these, these, the ground has only produced this stuff. I, I can't create it. I sowed it. I plowed it. But ultimately, God brought the sunshine. God brought the rain. And this is what the result is. And it's all from him. So I'm going to give the first fruits of it to him. So you prioritize him and your possessions. Ultimately, you don't give what's left, you give what's right, as people often say. You, you don't just give the leftovers at the end, you say, no, this is the right thing to do is to give first. Look at verses four and eight in chapter 31. As soon as the order went out, the Israelites generously gave the first fruits of their grain, new wine, olive oil, and honey, and all the fields produced. They brought a great amount, a tithe of everything. When Hezekiah and his officials came and saw the heaps, they praised the Lord and blessed his people Israel. So Israel gives immediately. You notice that? As soon as the order went out, they went, here we go. Israel gives abundantly. The Israelites gave generously, great amount, piled them in heaps, lots of words suggesting abundance and excess. And Israel gives proportionately. It says they gave a tithe of everything. And it's Interesting that whatever you believe about tithing and whether all Christians should tithe or whatever, the point is that tithing is a proportional gift. It's a way of saying, well, if I've got this much, I give that, but if I've got this much, I give less. It's a way of saying your gift is proportional to what you have been given, what your income is or what, you, what your land's produced. So the more you grow, the more you give. That's the way biblical thinking about generosity always seems to work. Now, obviously, there's a, a number of differences between Israel in Hezekiah's day and today when it comes to giving. And there's no animal sacrifices that we are called to give because Jesus has died once for all and put, a, put an end to all of our sin with one sacrifice. So we don't need to keep coming and offering money for rams and bulls and goats. There's no physical temple. This is the temple of the Holy Spirit, the church of Jesus Christ. So again, we don't need to fund a temple because God lives in us. There's no special class of priests because we're all priests. So there's a number of differences. There's not many crops or herds of olives and lambs and so on in the Bromley, Lewisham, Greenwich area. So many of us, of course, don't live like this anyway, and we don't have a first fruit come through in May, June or whatever. So there's a lot of differences. But that doesn't mean that we disregard this passage as if it's irrelevant. And people, plenty of people do. They say, well, of course, we, fortunately, we don't have to do those things. We don't have to tithe, we don't have to do first fruits, anything like that, because now it's under grace. And you think, well, okay, there is, of course, a difference in covenant, but there's also worth bearing in mind that these people almost certainly were an awful lot poorer than all of us. Right? These people roughly were living on about a pound a day in modern terms, and they had no welfare state. So it's not like they've got a, a hospital service or a schooling or whatever like that. So they are almost certainly a lot poorer than anybody listening to me right now. So we don't say, oh, no, 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 none of this applies to us. Instead, what we say is, okay, so what does the principle of first fruits giving look like now? If that's what it looked like for them to put God first with their wealth, immediate, abundant, proportionate, extravagant generosity, well, so what does it look like for us? I might just personalize this a moment. My answer to that question has changed a lot over my life. 
Right, the first time I remember giving, my parents were really big on this, and so they taught me when I was little, brought up in a Christian home, for which I'm hugely grateful. They gave me 10p pocket money. That was obviously rock and roll. That was a lot of money back then. It felt like to me, 10p pocket money, of which I, they then said, but 1p you need to give to God. So they literally taught me when I was whatever it was, seven years old, I don't know, but something young. They said, here's some pocket money, and 1p goes back to God. And so I, that's what it looked like when I was really small. And then one had an allowance as a teenager or whatever, saying, okay, so I then had to decide of this. I don't actually remember how I did that, but had to make a decision about what am I going to give of my 15 pounds a month or whatever it was that I'm going to, what am I going to give to God and how am I going to do that? I then did a gap year working for the church when I was uh, 21, 22. And for that year, I lived on a pound a day. Um, That's just the way it worked. To be fair, I got housing benefits, so my housing was provided for. but I, was, I did, I got 30 pounds a month salary. So I lived on a pound a day and scrounged a lot of meals and ate in people's homes a lot and they provided for me. But in that period there, financial giving was very low. Like it's very little because I just didn't have very much. I had less than most people listening to me now. But then from there, I got a job with a management consultancy in the city. I remember my starting salary was 32,000 pounds, which felt like an unthinkably massive amount of money. And it was a lot of money then, it's still a lot of money now. And so I remember I went to this church in South London. It wasn't this one um, when I went, but I remember, you know, week one, I got there. It's like, what, who do and how do I give to? I remember I, at the time I gave 300 pounds a month. I remember thinking that's what, because I've got a lot of money now and I don't need it all because I'm young. I don't have family and so on. So I'm going to give quite a lot or at least felt like a lot. So I thought, well, that's a good start. And, it, and as my life's gone on from there, my then salary dropped a lot. I went to work for the church. So my salary went from 32,000 to 13,000. So when I moved to that job, I gave a lot less. And now I earn more, I'm able to give a lot more. But my journey in in a way of figuring out, okay, so what does first fruits giving mean has massively changed in the course of the last 25, 30 years. But actually the heart behind it is always the same. All of this comes from God. I've not always got this right, I'm not a perfect example, but I just thought my story might help because we're in many of those different situations. But all of this comes from God, right? Every last penny of it. My mind, my body, my education, my strength, my family background, my job, even the fact I got sleep last night and I'm able to function, my health, it all comes from God. And he gave me Jesus and he gave me everything good. So I actually want to give the first fruits back to him and I want to put him First, so that principle, what you actually do will look different according to the season of life you're in and what God has given and entrusted to you. But the heart behind it is the same, is that we want to put God first. So first fruits giving is the first principle. The second principle is that of faithful giving. And that's a theme that recurs a lot in this chapter, right? Verse verse 12, then they faithfully brought in the contributions, the tithes, the dedicated gifts. Verse 15, Shemaiah, Amariah, and Shechaniah assisted him faithfully in the towns of the priests. Verse 20, this is what Hezekiah did throughout Judah, doing what was good and right and faithful before the Lord his God. So there's a lot of emphasis here on faithfulness, commitment, and consistency. And you can see Israel's faithfulness in the extent and the consistency of their giving. This is the verse that strikes me on this one. Verse 7, they began doing this in the third month and they finished in the seventh month. So imagine piling up heaps of the first fruits of your produce from May to September, month after month, week after week, without flagging and without saying, oh gosh, that's plenty. For goodness sake, let's stop hauling it in. They didn't do that. They kept coming with their first fruits for month after month after month, right the way through the summer. 
That's an extraordinary thing to do because that demonstrates that this desire to be generous was not a flash in the pan motivated by a bit of guilt or a sudden surge of enthusiasm. That's actually quite easy. Right? If you're a gifted communicator, I could probably evoke, if I wanted to, I could probably evoke a sudden rush of enthusiasm to give this morning. That's actually, that's not my heart. What, what God is after is actually faithful giving. But charity fundraisers will tell you, if there's, you know, there's people who, whose job it is to raise money, will say, actually motivating people to give a one-off sudden surge, you can do that. And actually, sometimes you can do it with bad tactics. You can manipulate people to do that if you're not, uh, you don't have integrity about it. But actually what's difficult is not the sudden response. What's difficult is serious, sustained, faithful generosity. Hezekiah, verse 9, Hezekiah asked the priests and Levites about the heaps. And Azariah answered, Well, since the people began to bring their contributions to the temple of the Lord, we've had enough to eat and plenty to spare because the Lord has blessed his people and this great amount is left over. Not just those words of, of abundance, right? Heaps, enough, plenty, left over. If you know your Bible, those words may well remind you of the feeding of the 5,000. When Jesus gives abundantly more than the people need, far more than they can eat, and there's 12 giant baskets left over at the end. That's what God is like. And when people catch the Spirit of God, they respond like He is. When He's a generous giver who wants to lavishly pour out gifts on us, and when people catch His Spirit, we respond with a similar heart of generosity. They give more than's needed. They don't ask, what must I give? They ask, what can I give? Because God has moved my heart and stirred me to be like him. And faithfulness in giving as in life involves responding to that urge steadily and consistently rather than in occasional spasms of enthusiasm. Now, people give in different ways for different reasons. Some of us might actually give practically every year just once. Some might give every month, some might give every week or even on a daily basis. And that's up to, that's up to you. That's, that, I'm not commenting particularly on the regularity, but the idea that every moment of our, of our lives we are putting God first is expressed by saying, this isn't something I occasionally remember to do. This is a steady, committed expression of faithfulness. And faithfulness in giving, like faithfulness in life, looks more like consistent sacrifice than a surge of epic emotion. In, in other words, it looks more like the tortoise than the hare, right? People suddenly have a massive enthusiasm to give, but then actually years go by and they're like, I've just kind of forgotten. And then, oh gosh, suddenly caught by it again. Whereas the tortoise, meanwhile, plodding on, just regularly giving in whatever form that takes. That's true of many things in life, of course. A faithful marriage, if you're married, is not just about dramatic high points of excitement and enthusiasm. It's about everyday plodding of making tea or changing nappies or paying bills or washing saucepans or prioritizing your spouse or apologizing or forgiving, all those kinds of things which actually build a healthy marriage. You say, well, we might, even without the epic moments, which obviously God willing you have as well, so actually you build it through the, the plodding, the tortoise, and actually it's just the same with your money. Give like a tortoise. The standing order is your friend. If you can use that standing orders, that's a gift, right? Monthly habits are your friend. Consistent sacrifice eats epic emotion for breakfast. Now, you always want to be somebody who just plods financially like that because it means over a lifetime you'll often give an awful lot more than giving a lot whenever you remember. And it's just a, a product of faithfulness. And as I say, there are many different ways of giving faithfully. Many of us give in different ways over a year and so on. But the, com the principle here is one of faithfulness and steadiness and consistency. So first fruits giving 
faithful giving. And then the third principle is free will giving. Gifts to God, gifts for the house of God, for the leadership of God's people, for the poor or for festivals. And by the way, those are basically the four main things that Israel gives to in the Old Testament. And they're pretty much the things we give to now as well. Gifts for the house of God, for leading God's people, for the poor or for festivals and celebrations. But they're given voluntarily, not taken automatically. There's a big difference. They're free will offerings. They come from the giver, not from the receiver, and they're given voluntarily, not automatically. Verse 14, Korah, son of Imna the Levite, keeper of the East Gate, was in charge of the free will offerings given to God, distributing the contributions made to the Lord and also the consecrated gifts. And that principle of the free will offerings is actually restated in the New Testament. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 9 verse 7, each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, because God loves a cheerful giver, a happy giver, a willing giver. So this isn't like a tax. In fact, the big difference between a gift and a tax is that in a tax, the money's come out of your paycheck before you've even seen it. I get taxed every month, and the money just it never even enters my account. It doesn't come into my account and then bounce out to the government, let alone by a decision I've made, just never appears in the first place. It's done by somebody in the finance team and who works in the church. So it never even makes it to my account, but that's a tax. It costs me, but I don't feel the cost in quite the same way because I have no choice in the matter. The difference with a gift is that the money comes into my bank, a bank account, and I know every month, I could, if I wanted to, not do the standing order this month, and instead I could spend it on this. And I choose not to, but I could. And actually that cost strikes me in a different way. It makes me experience it in a different way. I can see the 10 pounds or the 100 pounds or the 1,000 pounds or whatever it is going out, and I can conclude, I could have had a beer with that. I could have had a meal out with that. I could have had a holiday with that but I'm seeking the kingdom first and I want to know that that's what's happening. This is actually a free will gift. It's not a tax. It's not being taken from me automatically. It's being given voluntarily. When I first started as a pastor, I remember thinking, do you know what? It's very tax inefficient that the pastors in my church give to the church and then receive the money in salary. What's the deal there? Why can't the church just pay them less and save the tax? It kind of sounds like a bright idea. And actually, what's the answer? The answer is because we believe in free will giving. And if you do that, you tax everybody. The pastor in the end is not choosing to give at all. I have the choice. As it stands now, I could stand here and give nothing at all to anybody or anything other than myself. And if I didn't have that choice, I don't think that the gift would delight the heart of God in the same way. God loves a cheerful giver. God loves people who bring free will offerings and say, I could do something else with this but I'm choosing to do that because God, you come first. Kings is a hugely generous church and you know that if you've been part of the church any length of time, it is a real strength of this community. And this is a community where people have given their first fruits faithfully by their own free will for decades, if not even for generations. But let me tell you a story. I just think this is amazing. This last week, we received news of a legacy that somebody in the Catford site was going, had, had left when they died. And what they'd said, what they'd tithed their entire estate to the church, and what they'd said, what, what we what had written to us to explain what had happened, was the person said, it's the first place she wanted her money to go. 
It's the first place she wanted her money to go. She had tithed her entire estate to the church. And we're going to live in the, in the benefit of that as a community. And it's praise God. What I love about that, and of course it just ties in so magnificently with the theme of this series, which we knew about long before we knew about this gift. I only found out a few days ago. But what's powerful about that is it reflects the desire to put God first and not just something at the end or not just another thing to throw in. Somebody said, I really want to make sure I give to God, which in this case was to this church. I want to give to God first. That's the, that's the priority. And the other stuff I'm going to give, I'm going to give later. And that kind of heart comes because we serve a God who is abundant and has given his first and his best to us. Right? He has been faithful to us. He has given his first fruits to us. His son, the Lord Jesus Christ, is in a sense God's first fruits offering to us. God gave his best to sacrifice for sin for us. He gave faithfully and he gave of his own free will. And because we've seen his generosity to us, our heart is sparked by that same desire to respond with first fruits generosity to him. And as we look around our lives and this church, we see, like Israel in this story, we see his abundant prosperity piled in heaps, his grace, a great amount given abundantly. And then we can say, like Azariah the priest does, we've had enough to eat and plenty to spare because the Lord has blessed this people and this great amount is left over. Let's put God first, amen? Let's pray. I'm gonna pray taking the, uh, the prayer of David uh, the dedication of the, of the temple. No, just before, when he's raising the money for the temple, he prays this. Let's pray together. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. All that is in heaven and on earth is yours. All things come from you, O Lord, and of your own do we give you. Amen.